You are listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Cigarette smoking leads to a host of medical problems in our patients. How can we best help them confront this very difficult addiction? Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Lee Friedman, your host, and with me today is Dr. Alan Prokaska, Assistant Chief of Research at the Denver VA Medical Center in Denver. Thank you for being with us, Dr. Prokaska. Well, glad to talk with you. In terms of smoking cessation, there are varying approaches that are used, cutting out cigarettes cold turkey, cutting down gradually. Are there particular strategies that seem to be more successful? Certainly, if you look from a public health perspective, the vast majority of people have quit on their own. So again, one can look at one's parents. Many of our parents probably quit smoking well before there were any drugs to help them, and there are lots of people who quit on their own. Those who quit on their own will use a variety of strategies. You know, you mentioned the cold turkey approach, which people will commonly do, and they'll put the cigarettes down and deal with whatever withdrawal symptoms they have. Other people, you will use the cutting down approach, and you know, both of those can be effective, although you know, I think in today's world, the data are pretty supportive of the fact that many patients benefit from a combined approach, sort of a self-help approach like you talked about. Let me start trimming down the number of cigarettes and combining that with behavioral support, combining it with drug therapy to kind of optimize the quit rates. Because the issue when one's quitting on one's own is that, you know, the chances of success are relatively low overall. And, you know, chance of relapse is high. And so I think as a clinician, you'd like to do what you can to optimize our patients' chances. Just in general on the behavioral thing related to tapering down, self-monitoring is a useful technique for a lot of patients. In terms of cutting down gradually, what is self-monitoring? Well, self-monitoring is the idea of the individual keeping track of their own behavior. This has a long history in behavior change for lots of different problems and is quite useful. Uh, in the context of tobacco, it might mean keeping a little notebook in one's pocket and making a decision that before I smoke the next cigarette, I will write down the time and place and situation. For many people, just paying attention and making a conscious decision about the next cigarette can lead to you know, an important reduction in the total number of cigarettes smoked. It reminds me of somebody trying to lose weight with a dietary log or even a diabetic keeping track of his or her blood sugars. Exactly. It's the same concept. And, of course, the diabetes is a good example. Again, as clinicians, we know that if our patients take control of their diabetes and start being conscious about what I'm doing in terms of diet, what I'm doing in terms of exercise, monitoring closely, adjusting insulin. I mean, you can have tremendous results with that. So that certainly can work really well for a lot of people. Again, it doesn't work for all. Some people find that when they do a tapering strategy, they get sort of stuck at perhaps a half a pack a day or some amount like that, and they can't go from 10 to 9 to 8 to 7 cigarettes. So often at that point, one really has to say, well, it's time to put the cigarettes down completely. But empowering the patient, having some self-monitoring and control that way uh, is often helpful. That's exactly right. Now, the other point I would make, again, is that uh, patients sometimes feel, well, if I cut down from a pack a day to half a pack a day, I've really done myself a lot of good in terms of health. And that's been an issue. Well, you know, how much good does that sort of partial reduction do? And, and the answer is it doesn't do as much as one would like. Uh, it's not a 50% reduction in the risk, and the reason is because people tend to start compensating, so they may start inhaling more forcefully, and so 
the 10 cigarettes may be more like 15 or 16. So the reduction thing is is a useful step towards cessation, but the person who cuts down to the half a pack a day, I don't think as clinicians we should allow them to think, oh, I've really done my job and I don't need to do anything more to help my health. I'll often suggest patients sugarless gum or candy, cut straws down to the size of cigarettes so you have something in your hand and your mouth. Do things like that have an impact? Those are all sort of substitute behaviors that can help. You know, none of them by themselves is going to be penicillin for quitting smoking. But for individual patients, that can be quite useful. I mean, for example, you know, the straw technique is someone who needs something to do with their hands or something to sort of suck on or chew on. It can be a useful substitute for smoking and can help them both if they're trying to taper down and after they've quit when they're trying to deal with urges, for example. You know, you brought up sugarless candy issue. You know, many people have taste changes after they quit. And often the taste leans towards uh, preference towards sweetness. Well, you know, as one knows, there's also a potential for weight gain with quitting smoking. And so if one goes ahead and eats candy bars to sort of deal with that sweet preference, that's going to clearly contribute to the weight gain. But, you know, the sugarless hard candy, the Tic Tac type mints that are low calorie could be useful substitutes, again, after a person's quit to deal with urges. I encourage people to think about when they have problems, what types of things are going to work for them. Because one could, for example, suggest a, just a, a chewing gum, not a nicotine gum, but a chewing gum. But, you know, some individuals don't chew gum and wouldn't want to chew that. So the idea would be to say, what sounds good to you as a patient? To kind of individualize. Yeah, yeah, because people have different backgrounds and needs and stuff. And so that's where those sort of tricks or gimmicks can be real helpful for selected patients. If you've just joined us, you're listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Lee Friedman, and we are speaking with Dr. Alan Prokaska, Assistant Chief of Research from the Denver VA Medical Center, about strategies in helping our patients quit smoking. Dr. Prokaska, I've heard that it is certainly very important for healthcare providers to keep reminding patients to try to quit. We're not uh, irritating them and having the reverse effect, are we? It is important for us. I think it's clearly important to maintain the salience of tobacco. Every clinician, no matter what their specialty, faces tobacco-related illness. And so I think from our perspective, it's quite important to keep it up there on the prioritization order. Now, many of us work in continuity of care settings. And in that setting, one can clearly gain a lot by repetitively asking where a person stands with regard to tobacco. And I'll just give one sort of anecdote. I had one patient who I saw a number of years ago who was an older man, had had heart coronary disease, and he was one of the individuals who said, well, I don't want to quit because it's the only thing left for me. It's my only pleasure. And I'm sure many clinicians have heard that. So he wasn't ready to take action at that point. Over the several years that followed, each time I saw him in clinic, I'd ask him, what's going on with tobacco? What are your plans? And he would always say about the same thing. This took about three, four years, and then he comes in one day, and towards the end of our interview, he says, when are you going to ask? <laughs> and I said, well, what are you doing about smoking? And he was, of course, quite happy and proud because he had quit on his own. Ah, okay. So in a continuity relationship, one can do it. Now, I think one thing that is important is I believe one should do it in a way that's not a confrontational way, but more where are you as a patient? What decision are you making? 
about tobacco at this point. And, you know, that actually, you know, helps you in terms of if one's in a primary care or internal medicine mode clinic like I am, it makes your care more efficient because the individual who's not ready to quit today, there's no point in prescribing a medication for them. There may be a point in like relaying them information that, you know, for example, the pulmonary function tests we did last time show a decrement. But trying to initiate drug therapy in someone who's not ready to quit really is something that's not going to help the patient out. And so by asking the person, where are you? What do you want to do? You know, in a minute or two or less than a minute, you can figure out, is today the day to take action on cessation or is today not a day to take action? That's a great, very practical point for us busy clinicians. That's very good. What about other things that are used? There are often group sessions, meditation, hypnosis. Are are these things that you embrace or have any support behind them? Well, it's very, very clear from a multitude of studies that support is helpful when people are trying to quit. Whether it's one-on-one or whether it's a group-type session, it really helps. And the more of that that one does, the better the chances an individual has of quitting. So from that point of view as a clinician, it's really important to know what are the resources available in my area for that. You know, for example, does the hospital I work with have, you know, a group-oriented cessation program? You know, or there are other things in the community around me because as an individual, you can't do this all by yourself. You need, one needs to have sort of a team approach. And of course, today, we have things that we didn't have 10 years ago. So there are lots of online resources. Many states have quit lines that are both the 800 number type and online. And so for the individual who wants that type of support, we as a clinician, our job can be just to trigger it. Mm -hmm. Make sure they know it's there, hook them up with the right support. Exactly right. And whether it's in person or on the phone, that's not as critical as providing support. And certainly if one is doing it within the context of a practice, it doesn't have to be the physician doing all of this. Our experience has been that people of lots of different backgrounds can do a great job in terms of helping patients quit smoking. And it's not a function of what kind of degree they have, whether they can do it or not. It's more a matter of can you interact with people and be empathetic and, you know, helpful in their problems. Another good point to keep in mind when we're assessing uh, resources in the community. Do you ever discourage or encourage things like acupuncture, hypnosis, some of the more off-the-beaten-path type of therapies? There's two issues with regard to those things. If you look at it from a sort of evidence point of view, there's very little data supporting their effectiveness. So one cannot go with the patient and say, boy, acupuncture really will work you know, it has really been shown to work. Certainly, you run into a lot of patients who have quit with those techniques. And the issue there, it's very hard to know, is the reason they quit because that's the fifth time they've tried. And pretty much anything they would have done would have worked. Or is there something about the acupuncture or hypnosis that was particularly helpful? The hypnosis, if you viewed it from the other point of view of, well, what are the dangers or risks? You know, I think on the risk side, the hypnosis would be quite low. In many places, that would be something that would be charged out of pocket to the patient, so there'd be a cost issue there. And the acupuncture, I think the issue there, you have the efficacy question. I think there are people who do acupuncture who may not know what they're doing. That would be an issue. And, you know, I think as a clinician, it's a little bit hard to know, well, if a patient were going to get acupuncture, who would be one that would be a qualified practitioner that would do a good job. 
because I think you know the certification and stuff's not as clear cut as for things in more traditional medicine. I certainly don't encourage those as a first line treatment because the efficacy evidence isn't there. I have lots of patients who are quite interested in it, and you know, so I, t- I tell them what the facts are that efficacy evidence isn't there. There are people who've quit with it. If you're going to do it, you need to kind of investigate to try to find someone who is, you know, a reputable practitioner. Hopefully, with a combination of the support and many of the other techniques you've mentioned, we can assist these patients in getting them to quit. Well, I want to thank Dr. Alan Prokaska. Assistant Chief of Research at the Denver VA Medical Center, who has been our guest as we've been discussing how we can help our patients quit smoking. I'm Dr. Lee Friedman, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.